Well, good morning, everyone, and a warm welcome to the visitors we have joining us today. There's some faces that I see are joining us that I haven't seen before, but also some faces that I haven't seen in a long while. So welcome, McCausland. It's been a long time since we've seen you guys. It'll be good being able to catch up with you hopefully later. Uh, if you are visiting with us today or you are one of our regulars, uh, please join us for a hot drink after our service today. We have tea and coffee to the side. Uh, for those of you who don't know me, my name is Michael. I'm one of the pastors here along with Mark here at Cornerstone Presbyterian Church. And today we are doing a once-off, just looking at the book of Philemon together. So please, if you have your Bibles open, please open now to the book of Philemon. Or alternatively, if you have our church newsletter, um, you can find today's passage in our church newsletter. So that's the book of Philemon. We're looking at the entire chapter together. And I'm going to read that out for us. So the book of Philemon, and this is God's word. Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our dear friend and fellow worker, to Aphia, our sister, to Archippus, our fellow soldier, and to the church that meets in your home. Grace to you and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I always thank my God as I remember you in my prayers, because I hear about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints. I pray that you may be active in sharing your faith, so that you will have a full understanding of every good thing we have in Christ. Your love has given me great joy and encouragement, because you, brother, have refreshed the hearts of the saints. Therefore, although in Christ I could be bold and order you to do what you ought to do, Yet I appeal to you on the basis of love. I then, as Paul, an old man and now also a prisoner of Christ Jesus, I appeal to you for my son Onesimus, who became my son while I was in chains. Formerly he was useless to you, but now he has become useful both to you and to me. I am sending him, who is my very heart, back to you. I would have liked to keep him with me so that he could take your place in helping me while I am in chains for the gospel. But I did not want to do anything without your consent, so that any favor you do will be spontaneous and not forced. Perhaps the reason he was separated from you for a little while was that you might have him back for good. No longer as a slave, but better than a slave, as a dear brother. He is very dear to me, but even dearer to you both as a man and as a brother in the Lord. So if you consider me a partner, welcome him as you would welcome me. If he has done you any wrong or owes you anything, charge it to me. I, Paul, am writing this with my own hand. I will pay it back, not to mention that you owe me your very self. I do wish, brother, that I may have some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Confident of your obedience, I write to you, knowing that you will do even more than I ask. And one more thing, prepare a guest room for me, because I hope to be restored to you to answer to you in answer to your prayers. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, sends you greetings. And so do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke, my fellow workers. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Let's pray. Our Father, as we come to your word this morning, our Father, we pray, Lord, that you would be with us. Our Father, we pray that you would open our 
open our eyes and block our ears and soften our hearts. Our Father, we pray that by your Spirit that you would be with each and every one of us. Our Father, we pray that as we look at um, this book of Philemon, as we look at forgiveness, as we look at love, Lord, we pray that you would give us a deeper understanding. And Father, we pray in turn you would help us to love, help us to forgive. Our Father, I pray, Lord, that you would be with me now, um, your servant. Lord, that as I preach your word, that you would give me the, the clarity and the conviction that is needed. And Father, we just pray for this time together. And we pray that you would receive all the glory and praise in Christ's name. Amen. So as we open up this letter, the letter to Philemon, we find Paul in prison. He's most likely in Rome. And it's considered that during this imprisonment that he wrote at least four letters. Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, and this letter, Philemon. And from these four epistles, the only epistle is the letter, the only personal epistle is the letter to Philemon. And now we don't know a huge amount about Philemon, but we could make some good educated guesses. For example, Philemon, he's most likely a wealthy Roman citizen. He most likely became a Christian under the ministry of Paul, perhaps visiting Ephesus while Paul was there during his three-year ministry. And during that time, under Paul's ministry, became a Christian. Philemon lives in Colossae, which is about 160 kilometers from Ephesus. And a church, a church meets in his house. And in this house church, he is quite involved. But since the planting of this house church, it has come to the attention of the Apostle Paul that there is trouble in Colossae. Uh, most likely, Epaphras has searched for Paul and is asking for assistance, asking that Paul write to those in Colossae to address the problems that have come up. And so Paul sends them a letter. He sends them a letter to correct them and to remind them of the great hope that they have in Christ and how they are to live in response to this great hope. But Paul is also sending another letter. He is sending a letter to Philemon. Why? Well, it's because during Paul's imprisonment, he has met someone. He has met Onesimus. And Onesimus has become a Christian. But Onesimus is also a runaway slave. He is Philemon's runaway slave. And it's for this reason that Paul writes to Philemon. But we may ask, why did I mention the letter to the Colossian church? Well, I think it's because we can't separate the two. Philemon, in a short space of time, perhaps even on the same day, I would have read these two letters. And so some of the things said in the letter to the Colossians, I would probably be in the back of his mind as he reads now this personal letter from Paul. It's for this reason that I asked Libby during our weekly email to encourage everyone to read the letter from Paul to the Colossians. I to give a bit of background to this letter that we're going to look at today. If you haven't read um, the book of Colossians recently, that's okay. Uh, but throughout the sermon, I'll be making reference to it. And so with this context of mine of Colossians, we now 
look at this personal letter from Paul to Philemon. And as we look at this letter, Paul writes with the main purpose of restoring the fractured relationship between Philemon and Onesimus. And today we're going to look at three points together. I have three points that we're going to be looking at. First, aligning expectations. Our second point, appealing to love. And then our third point, accepting Onesimus. Let's start with that first point. And as we start, uh, we ask, what would have been the normal expectations for a slave returning to their master? Well, normally under Roman law, if a master found his runaway slave, uh, he could punish them. Uh, he could beat them. He could throw them in prison. In the eyes of many, during this time, a slave was just an extension of their master's property. And Onesimus is a runaway slave. And as he, run, as he ran away, he just didn't run. He took something. He took something from his master. Goods or money. So humanly speaking, the last thing Onesimus would like to happen is that he would be found and that he would be returned to his master, Philemon. But what happens? Well, he's found. And he's found by the Apostle Paul. Through some remarkable set of circumstances, Paul and Onesimus meet. While in Rome, having spent time with Paul, Onesimus, by God's grace, becomes a Christian. And becoming a Christian, Onesimus now becomes useful to Paul. But Paul realizes that he needs to send Onesimus back to Philemon. But he doesn't send Onesimus empty-handed. Uh, this letter that we have in front of us accompanies Onesimus and his traveling partner, Tychicus. And this letter is given to Philemon to realign the expectations as to how one should treat there's how one should treat, how Philemon should treat Onesimus at his return. So let's see how Paul aligns Philemon's expectations. Please have a look with me at verse 4 and 5 of our letter, where Paul says, I always thank my God as I remember you in my prayers, because I hear about your love for all his holy people and your faith in the Lord Jesus. Now this would have been familiar to Paul. Uh, perhaps he would have, he's already read about this. He's heard about this. A faith in Christ Jesus and a love for all of God's people. Where might have Philemon read this already? Well, perhaps he's already read it in the letter to the Colossians. Where the book of Colossians in chapter 1 tells us that this faith and this love spring from somewhere. It springs from the hope stored for us in heaven, from which we have already heard in the message of the gospel. Now we ask, what is this hope? Well, it's the hope of resurrection. It is the hope of the defeat of sin fully and finally. Uh, Paul explains in the letter to the Colossians what the gospel is, what it means to have this great hope. And I think it's beautiful, beautifully summarized in Colossians 1, verse 13 and 14. 
Let me read that out for us. Colossians 1, verse 13 and 14. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom we have the redemption and the forgiveness of sins. So while we worshipped various gods, God sent Jesus. He rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into his kingdom. That's the gospel. That's the hope we have. And it's with this encouragement, it's with this reminder of the great hope that we have, that Paul then makes an appeal to Philemon. He makes this appeal to Philemon. Now, I don't know if you've ever seen the movie Fireproof. It's a movie calling to love your spouse, not because you are feeling loved, but because of the love you have first received in Christ. Uh, when Caleb Holt realizes the message of the gospel, of being loved despite his behavior, despite his sinfulness, despite his own constant rejection towards God, he was loved by God. And he realizes, he is told that God's love is not transactional. It's given from a position of grace. When Caleb realizes this, he reconciles that he will love his wife despite how his wife treats him. 1 John 4.19, the Apostle John says this, We love because he first loved us. We love because God first loved us. The word love in the Greek is the word agape. It's the same word that is used in our passage today. Friends, I'm not sure if you know this, but there are four different words in Greek for the word love. There is phileo, there is eros, there is storge, and there is agape. And agape is the love which expresses self-sacrificial love. It's the love shown to express giving up one's life for another. It's the same love Jesus had shown for us. The love he had shown for us as he gave up his life on the cross that we may have life. So as Paul writes to Philemon, he appeals to him not from a position of authority, but he appeals to him for love's sake. To love with the same love Christ loved. To love sacrificially as he has been doing already with the saints that meet in his household. And so Paul says, verse 10, I appeal to you for my son Onesimus, who became my son while I was in chains. Formerly he was useless to you, but now he has become useful both to you and to me. Now what's Paul saying here? Well, Paul is saying Onesimus has become a Christian. And before his conversion, he was useless to you. But now he's become useful both to you and to me. Now here there is a bit of a play on words that we miss in the English. Uh, the name Onesimus actually means useful. Uh, but Onesimus didn't live up to his name. Uh, Douglas Moo, one of the commentaries, uh, I was looking at his commentary during the week, and he says this, Almost all the commentaries refer to Lightfoot's marshalling of evidence to suggest that the slaves from Phrygia 
where Colossae was located, had a bad reputation. And from our passage, we can see that Onesimus uh, hasn't got the greatest of reputations. He's actually a pretty bad slave. He ran away and he stole from his master. Uh, He was useless to his master. But what does Paul say now? Well, he says Onesimus is no longer useless. He is now useful. Uh, The name that was given to him, he's now living up to it. He is both useful to you and to me. Verse 13 to 16, Paul says this, I would have liked to keep him with me so that he could take your place in helping me while I'm in chains for the gospel. But I did not want to do anything without your consent so that any favor you do would not seem forced but would be voluntary. Perhaps the reason he was separated from you for a little while was that you might have him back forever, no longer as a slave, but better than a slave, as a dear brother. He is very dear to me, but even dearer to you, both as a fellow man and as a brother in the Lord. Paul says he has been useful already, helping him while in prison. And if Philemon were to send him back, Onesimus would be of further use. But if not, he would be of great use to Paul as a fellow man, perhaps suggesting as your slave, but also as a dear brother in the Lord. Now, what is Paul trying to say here exactly? Well, I think to help us to have a bit of context of what Paul is trying to say, it's helpful to look at what Paul says in Colossians chapter 3, verse 22 to chapter 4, verse 1. If you have your Bibles in front of you, please turn with me to Colossians chapter 3, verse 22, where Paul instructs the church in chapter 3, verse 17, that in all that they do, whether in word or in deed, to do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. And then he gives the example of what this looks like, explaining how the gospel transforms households. Uh, look with me at what Paul says about slaves and masters. Colossians chapter 3, verse 22 to chapter 4, verse 1. Slaves, obey your earthly masters in everything, and do it not only when their eye is on you and to carry their favor, but with sincerity of heart and reverence for the Lord. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. Anyone who does wrong will be repaid for their wrongs. There is no favoritism. Masters, provide your slaves with what is right and fair, because you know that you also have a master in heaven. Paul is saying to Philemon, if you have Onesimus as your slave, he will be so much better to you, so much more useful to you, because he's ultimately serving Christ. He's serving Christ just as you are, and you both have Christ as your master in heaven. So as you serve Christ together, do it for his glory. Do it with joy. Do it with thankfulness. I think this is a great reminder for each of us, isn't it? That in all that we do, we are to do it for Christ's glory. We are to do it with joy. We are to do it with thankfulness. Because the gospel has freed us to do it. 
What Jesus does for the Christian is that he reconciles us to the Father. He transfers us from the dominion of darkness and into his kingdom. He frees us from the powers and the authorities that once controlled us, having nailed them to the cross. And he also reconciles relationships that were once broken through the restorative power of the gospel. So having said all this, Paul then says, if you consider me a partner, welcome him as you would welcome me. Accept him, not as a slave returning to you, but as a partner in the gospel, one who will be useful to you. But Paul says, if there are any difficulties, if there are any difficulties in welcoming and accepting Onesimus, he says, charge it to me. I, Paul, am writing with this with my own hand. I will pay it back. Not to mention that you owe me your very self. Now, what is Paul trying to say here when he says, you owe me your very self? Well, Paul is not referring to any material debt that Philemon might owe him. But Paul is referring to Philemon's very life. That through his ministry, Paul spoke to him the gospel. Paul was instrumental in his conversion. One of the commentators I was reading at this point, and I found it quite interesting what he said. He said, even though Paul alludes to Philemon's conversion here, it is perhaps significant that he does not call him his son, as he did with Onesimus. Here the note that Philemon owes Paul, his very self, essentially reduces him to be Paul's slave. If so, the rhetorical intent is clear. If Paul does not insist on Philemon's status as one who owes his very self to Paul, Philemon likewise has no rights of ownership over Onesimus. I think what Paul is saying is, he's saying, I don't treat you. Philemon, I don't treat you as a slave. So please don't do that with Onesimus. I treat Onesimus as someone very dear to me. Can't you do the same? And I think even more than that, Paul is also trying to communicate what Philemon has been given from Paul. What Paul has received, what Philemon has received through Paul's ministry. It's far greater than anything that has been taken away from him. In Christ, you have been given treasures. In Christ, you have been given an inheritance far greater than any money or goods that has been taken from you. As Christ loved you and gave himself up for you, Paul now says, can you now love Onesimus? Can you now forgive him? Can you accept him as you would have accepted me? as one who is like you, redeemed and united to Christ. Paul says to him, refresh my heart in Christ. I am confident of your obedience, knowing that you will do even more than I ask. It's here, perhaps for the first time, that Paul is now putting some authority behind the words that he's written down. And I think this authority isn't necessarily because he's an apostle, but the authority lies in the words that he has already said. Because Philemon has received the gospel, and having been reminded of what he has received, it should produce an overwhelming desire to live for Christ. 
what Christ has done should transform our behavior. Not to act like the world around us acts, but to act having been first been given a great inheritance in Christ Jesus. I think we need to be reminded of this often, don't we? That having been transformed by the gospel, that we should not act as the world does. Not receiving justice because it's owed to us. Or not receiving rights because of the laws of this land say that we deserve them. What Paul has shown to Philemon, what he has shown to us, is that the gospel changes us. The gospel transforms us. That we are to respond with thanks and praise for what Jesus has done. And that we do this, whether in word and deed, to give glory to him. Giving thankfulness to him. And when that's a struggle to do, Paul encourages us to see what we have been given. He says, look to what Christ has given you. Look at the debt that was paid for by Jesus. Look at the inheritance and the hope that is sought up for you in heaven. So for those of us here who are married, when you are struggling to love your spouse, remember the love that has been first shown to you. When you're struggling to forgive the friend that has wronged you, remember how much you have been forgiven in Jesus. And when you're struggling not to be bitter to those who have wronged you, well, recall that when you had wronged Christ, He still loved you. He still died for you, even while you were trapped in the dominion of darkness. Remember that movie, Fireproof? Remember when Caleb is sitting at the campsite with his father? And he is frustrated by his wife's lack of concern, her constant bitterness. And Caleb says, I have taken in her insults and her sarcasm, but last night was it. I made dinner for her. I did everything I could to demonstrate that I care about her, to show value for her. And she spat in my face. She does not deserve this, Dad. How do I, I am not doing it anymore. How am I supposed to show love to somebody over and over and over who constantly rejects me? But you know what Caleb then sees? He then sees the cross. And his father explains to him that what he is experiencing from his wife is what he has done to the Lord. Caleb's father says the cross was offensive until he came to it. But when he came to it, Jesus Christ changed his life. When Jesus effectually calls the Christian, when he shows you his love and his forgiveness, he does a work in you. He changes you. If you've come here today looking for love, looking for forgiveness, the message of the cross is for you. The message of who Jesus is, what he has done, it's for you. To be loved by him, to be forgiven by him, to be changed by him. And for the Christian here today, the cross is a reminder of what we have been given. The cross is there to align our thinking, not to act as the world does, but to respond with love and forgiveness, to love as we have been loved, to forgive knowing how much we have been forgiven.
Jesus said to the Pharisee in Luke 7, as the sinful woman washed his feet, those who have forgiven, been forgiven much will love much. Friends, as we recall how much we have been forgiven in Christ, we are to respond with love. Not because those around us necessarily deserve it, but because he first loved us. He gave himself up for us. He gave himself up for his church. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, uh, we thank you so much for while we were in the dominion of darkness, while we lived for the things of this world, you loved and you forgave us. Father, you have produced in us, you have changed us, that we would no longer be of this world, but that we would be now your adopted children. Father, bring to the forefront of our minds our daily, we pray, how much we have been given in Christ Jesus, how much of an inheritance we have been given in him. And Father, as we call that to mind, as that goes to the forefront of our minds, Father, we pray that in what we say and what we do, it will be done with thankfulness. It will be done with joy, knowing how much we have been given in Christ. So Father, we pray, help us to love those around us, even when they're unlovable. Help us to forgive those who have wronged us, Father, knowing how much we have been forgiven. And Father, we pray, Lord, that in all that we say and do, we would do it for your glory and for the building up of your kingdom. We pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. Thanks, musicians.